Okay, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much again just for another day to be alive, for the air we breathe, just for the fact that you've given us life, even though you didn't have to. And you've also given us an opportunity to bring you glory, the creator of the heavens and the earth, to bring you glory in some way before we spend eternity with you in heaven. Father, help us always be grateful and appreciative, remembering where we've come from, remembering what you've saved us from. And most of all, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who did the ultimate, who did the unthinkable by leaving heaven and becoming a man, all for the purpose of being judged. Father, we ask that you bless this message, have your spirit guide us and teach us, and it's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of your spirit. Amen. Okay, just so you know, something's squeaking or somebody's squeaking out there, so be careful. I don't know what, who it is or what it is. It's a ghost on the, on the chair. All right. <laughs> so why are the apostles so encouraging? By grace, they were prepared. Part 7. To start, I'd like to share a couple things on familiarity. We all have this tendency, it's in the flesh, it's like built in, to become too familiar with the graces of the Lord, with the things He's given us. From our pastor, to our church, to our family, to whatever health we've been given. <laughs> And that sound is still squeaking. I'm very grateful for the whatever, you know, somebody's moving their foot or something, just so you know, rubbing their foot or something. <laughs> Everyone sit still. Now's the time to focus. All right. <laughs> it's funny. Everyone can hear it but the person making it. Isn't it funny? <laughs> all right. So stop moving. <laughs> but we all become familiar uh, with things like a good, you know, well-mannered class, right? We take that for granted. Uh, whatever health we've been granted, um, God's gentleness toward us, even though we don't deserve it, we become too familiar with these things. And we quickly forget that they're all things that have been graciously granted to us in the first place. They're all things graciously granted to us in the first place. How quickly we forget, right? We, we didn't feel that way when we were first saved and we realized the predicament we were in and we turned to Christ and then we realized the joy of God's grace. But then we get familiar with these even most wonderful things. We get used to them, so to speak. And sometimes we think we uh, deserve them a little bit or we'll always have them. But that's a trap that we all fall into and we have to be on guard for. Uh, it's an unfortunate part of living in this fleshly body that we fall into this malaise almost, you know, and we forget where we came from. I know I, for one, was getting too familiar with our pastor, uh, all the grace that we receive from this pulpit, kind of taking it for granted in a way, getting too used to it as though it's normal when it's, it's quite abnormal, even in Christian circles. 
So I'm thankful for the Spirit knocking on my soul to snap me out of it and remind me of the need for and the joy of appreciating all of His graces. That's where joy comes from. Appreciating everything we've already been given. So it's to our detriment, as Pastor said on Sunday, it's to our detriment when we become too familiar. Because it means our soul is getting buildup, you know, like plaque buildup. Well, that's a great analogy, but you're not keeping your soul clean. You're not keeping everything fresh where God wants you to be. Every day is a new day. Every day is a new uh, grace gift. Uh, every day is a day to celebrate the gift of salvation eternal life. So remember this on the board. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, in the NIV, this keeps coming up. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Are we doing this if we become complacent or too familiar with God's graces, they're actually opposite things, if you think about it. You're not doing this if you are becoming too familiar. If you're becoming too familiar with God's blessings, you're not doing this. But doing this is like a preventative. That, that very, this very act, this one act, at which the Spirit brought out recently, these three things on the board is really one act, kind of like the Trinity. If we function in this circle, then we're good. We won't take anything for granted or be too familiar with anything. So we're called by God to appreciate everything and actively give thanks for it all. And that's how we avoid the trap of familiarity. So let's recognize and admit we all have it. Some worse than others, some's at, some worse at some times and other times in our lives. But, again, we have to examine ourselves, right? And only turning to God in humility will correct our course. So this comes, has come up the last couple lessons regarding curing familiarity's plague. A shepherd cannot cure a familiarity, for it is his person who others have become dull of hearing with. He can at best help sharpen another's perspective. Only God can cure this plague. Only God can wake us up. And then we have to decide if we're going to be humble or not and choose to have the right perspective. We all should never take for granted men that are dedicated to teaching the Word of God that actually do it out of love for God rather than out of some kind of personal gain. And many of us in this room take that for granted because we've had it for a while. But do you know how many churches don't really have that? Have some kind of a religious game going on or have a pastor on the pulpit that's just there because of other reasons, some kind of personal gain? It's pretty commonplace. But what we have here is a rare spiritual blessing. So, you know, again, going backwards, if I can go backwards, there you go. I mean, do we do this? Do we, do we rejoice always and pray continually and give thanks in all things? 
all things, including this special gift we have here at this local assembly. It's rare. So we heard from Spurgeon, who said, Jesus Christ deserves the best men to preach his gospel and not the empty-headed and the shiftless. True men of God have the attitude in their heart that it's a pure privilege to serve the Lord and his sheep. And we're going back to motivation here. They're not in the ministry looking at it as a fallback job, um, maybe to get people to follow them for some reason. The Spirit reminds us that motivation is the key. And those without proper motivation are living in arrogance, regardless of what your gift is. Without proper motivation, we're living in arrogance. And this came up on Sunday as well. Regarding Spurgeon's empty-headed and shiftless men, they're actually arrogant men. They never actually do anything as unto the Lord. They might do it for themselves or for the wrong reasons, but they don't do it for the Lord. It's a sad thing in the ministry today. In fact, I happen to know that many men in Africa, and I'm sure it's not just Africa, um, I'm just speaking from personal experience, many men in Africa become pastors because there are no other jobs to be had. And it's a way to make a living, and some, some even to get rich. So the majority, I feel pretty comfortable in saying, the majority of men in Africa are behind pulpits because it's a job because it's a good job, because they have no other jobs. So they're obviously not there for the Lord, called by Him. they call called by themselves, and they do things for personal gain. So again, as we covered last week, God looks at the heart. He looks at the motivation. He looks at the why of what we do. And every man's going to answer to the Lord one day. So we need to look in the mirror, regardless of what your gift is. Every one of us is going to answer to the Lord, and so we each work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. As we learned through Scripture last week, David was a doer, and David had the right motivation. He wasn't a doer for self, all right? And he didn't have the right motivation, but not do. He had what God was looking for. A man after his own heart who would do all of his will on the board. David was a doer, not merely a hero who deluded himself. Allah James 1.22. Described in the Lord's own words as a man after my heart who will do all my will. So David was a doer and had the right motivation. He loved the Lord. He realized his place as a servant. We saw this last week. And he realized how gentle God was with him over the years. So as we also noted, David encouraged Solomon to act as a good servant of the Lord too. Now think about this for a minute. Why did David encourage Solomon? I mean, shouldn't Solomon just have been like, look how blessed my father is? See, David realized that nothing is going to be automatic when you're talking about another person's soul. 
And so he expressed his great desire for Solomon to choose on his own the narrow path following the Lord. And make no mistake, every person is going to make his own choice in his own heart if he's going to serve the Lord and why he serves the Lord. So again, we all look in the mirror ourselves. But here again is what David said to Solomon in 1 Chronicles 28.10. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be courageous and act. Why did David even have to say this? Because Solomon, even though he was chosen by God, had the ability or the freedom to say no, to give in to that temptation to live for himself as the king of Israel. So be courageous and act, David says. Don't wait. Don't let think about it too much. What happens when we sit around thinking too much? Our human thoughts get in the way. When you know something's right, when you know something's from God, be courageous and act and go forward. Real men do. And it's because they're humble. It's because they realize it's a privilege to, to serve God, period. So they do. They don't wait around. And these men of God, what made them great men of faith is that they didn't want to take any credit for the good they did for God. They knew and embraced that it was all by God's grace and mercy in their lives. Both David and Solomon were great examples of that. And so, on the board, glory be to God. And notice it's in quotes, glory be to God. People that can actually say that in their heart, not just with their lips, but people that actually believe that, these are the very people that God can use because they get the heck out of the way and they just follow him as a willing servant. These are the people God can use. As we heard on Sunday, David was so honest with himself that he often asked the Lord, Who am I? Who am I that you even consider me? Who am I that you bless me? Who am I that you're so gracious to me? And that was David's humility which allowed him to be such a great leader. And there again, we kind of see the irony in God's ways. They're different than man's ways and man's thoughts. It's ironic that someone willing to give all the credit to God is the one that's used to accomplish the greatest things for God. But again, God's ways are not our ways. That's who God uses. So again, on the board, glory be to God. It's when we lean heavily on Christ that he allows us the privilege of doing great things for him. He doesn't have to allow us the opportunity to do anything for his glory. I mean, think of the times in your life when, you, maybe, maybe right now is one of them, I don't know, but think of the times in your life when you had some um, time where you're wondering what to do for God. You want to serve God, maybe you weren't ready, but you had this time of like nothingness. You're like, what do I do? What do you want me to do? And so in other words, you didn't have an opportunity. And maybe those are the times we need to remember. The times when we had no opportunity that we recognized 
that we could bring God some glory. See, God is the one that allows us the privilege of doing great things for him. Opens a door here, opens a door there. But if he doesn't open that door, guess what? You know, you're not going to have the opportunity or the privilege. And maybe you're not ready. Some, you know, don't, don't get condemned necessarily. Check, check your motivation, of course. But maybe you're not ready. Maybe he's growing you for something, you know, a few years from now. But again, on the board, it's when we lean heavily on Christ that he allows us the privilege of doing great things for him. We saw Philippians 4.13 on Sunday, which says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Not that I can do all things. It's through the vehicle. It's through the person of Christ. So that's the one leaning heavily on him, isn't it? And turn in your Bibles to John 15, 4. Let's take another look at this from Sunday. John 15, 4. It's the humble man who admits he can do nothing without Christ that will be endowed with divine power. That's the one God allows to be used and even empowers. John 15, 4. Jesus said, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I mean, just imagine, what a great visual, huh? Imagine a branch on the ground trying to bud. I mean, talk about hopeless, right? He's cut off from the vine, cut off from the trunk of the tree. There's no life. There's not even an ounce of life that's going to come from that branch because it's dead. And that's us without Christ. That's us apart from him. We can do absolutely nothing. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. As Pastor put it on Sunday, your humility will guide you. Again, look at verse 7. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And then notice verse 8. My Father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. You bear much fruit. You do. You abide in me, and you're courageous, and you act, because you can do all things through him who strengthens you. And so you bear much fruit, bringing God tremendous glory. So notice it says, in verse 7, if you abide in him, and if his words abide in you, then the Lord can grant you what you wish. And ultimately, this is what allows us to bear much fruit, bringing glory to our Father in heaven. Why? Why? Because your priorities and motivations are with him. 
for His glory. You're abiding in Him and His words are abiding in you. So your priorities change. Your, your scale of values changes. Your desires in life actually start to change. The things that you think you need or want, um, different things take the, the place of that because you're abiding in Him and His words. And so now God can use you. God can give you whatever you ask for because you know what? You're going to ask for what brings God glory. You're not going to ask what brings you glory. So your priorities and motivations are with Him and for His glory. You're abiding in Christ and His words. And that beautiful attitude is found in every man or woman of God that brings Him glory. So on the board, we're really talking about good servants. Their humility doesn't allow them to get too familiar it's all a grace gift of God each and every day. Their proper perspective as a servant of the Lord saves them from themselves and from the trap of creature credit. All the glory belongs to God. Without humility, we're going to become familiar. Without, without having the humility to obey 1 Thessalonians 5, rejoicing always, Right, praying without ceasing, giving thanks in all things. Without the humility to do that, we're going to get too familiar. We're going to not see the grace gifts of God right in front of our eyes, including today, including the fact that you can still see, that we have light, that we have color. Lois and I were talking about before service that came up about color. Imagine all the colors we have in this world and how it makes it so much more not going to say colorful, lively, <laughs> enjoyable. Imagine if this whole world was in black and white, the things we take for granted that God didn't have to do for us. And so these grace gifts are right in front of our face every day, but because we don't obey First Thessalonians 5, we don't see them, and we get familiar with these beautiful, pure gifts that we have, food to eat, I mean, the ability to sleep, I mean, having a warm place to live, the things we take for granted. So we were reminded of this beautiful type of person, this beautiful heart of a servant in the person of Mary. Turn again to Luke 1, 26. You know, we're miserable when we fall into creature credit. We're miserable. Uh, when we don't have a servant's perspective and know our place before the creator of the heaven and the earth. But we're set free when we give God all the credit. Even though our flesh doesn't want to do that, that's when we're set free. And the humility is what psh, takes all the pressure off you too. It's like, you know what, this actually doesn't depend on me. It depends on God who can do all things. And that's kind of was Mary's attitude. Uh, look at Luke one twenty six. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. We heard on Sunday that that speaks of being graced out, being blessed by God. 
Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Again, there's grace. Why? Why did Mary, this teenager, why did she find favor with God? She must have been humble, right? Because God gives grace to the humble. So God said, I can use this one. Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, it's got to be one of the most beautiful statements in the Bible. Mary said, behold, the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. No kicking against it, no questioning it, no arrogance, no pride. Behold, I know my place, you know. I'm, I'm your servant, Lord, whatever you want to do with me. And the angel departed from her. Now at this time Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? As we heard on Sunday, this was like Elizabeth's version of, Who am I? Right? Who am I? How has it happened to me? that the mother of my Lord would come to me. And behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. By the way, think of Elizabeth's humility here. She's talking to a much younger woman. Maybe her niece. I don't know if we know for sure, but... Elizabeth in her old age is having a baby, and Mary's now pregnant as a teenager. And what does Elizabeth say to her? She doesn't, she's not too familiar and doesn't look down upon her because she's a younger person. She says, God chose you. God chose you. How has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears and the baby leaped in my womb for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord. In other words, all glory be to God. My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has had regard for the humble state of his bondslave. 
Again, this is like Mary's version of who am I that you would pick me. He's had regard. He showed me grace. He's had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. And behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. There's the same principle, isn't it? God gives grace to the humble. Mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. So we can see Mary pouring out her heart here in humility, and she recognized and appreciated the privilege that the Lord chose her for. She had no false confidence about herself that she was a quote-unquote good person. She was chosen because of something about her. She totally realized it was totally grace. And again, it's because of that very humility that God could choose her for this task. And even after she was chosen, she's talking to Elizabeth, she didn't make it all about her. She made it all about God, didn't she? All about His grace and mercy. And so because of this very attitude, God was able to grace her out. And all humble people want is for all the glory to go to God. That's really a good test for our own hearts. You know, not our own lips, not even our actions. Why do we do what we do? It's a good test for our own hearts. Do you honestly in your heart just want all glory to go to God? Or is there a... um, false motivation, a skewed motivation in there. But that's the servant's attitude that we're after if we just keep following him. The servant's attitude allows God to grace them out and use them. And again, you know, don't be discouraged. I mean, I look in the mirror when I study these principles or these things come up from the Spirit and I'm like, ugh, that's ugly in my own soul, you know. I hate that about the way I think sometimes. Whatever it is. Well, guess what? Same thing with the apostles. I mean, we, we always look at the apostles after they wrote the books of the New Testament, for example, right? And their wisdom. Well, how old were they? How much did they go through? How many mistakes did they make over decades before they were able to write those books, are ready to write those books in humility to the Spirit. We forget that, and that's kind of the point of this series. On the board, uh, James 4, 6, Part B in the Amplified, God sets himself against the proud and the haughty, but gives grace continually to the lowly, those who are humble enough to receive it. And the Spirit also gave us this on Sunday as well, which is something to think about. 
regarding glory be to God. The humble servant of God never assumes responsibility or even control over bringing glory to God. I don't know if you heard that on Sunday. It wasn't on the board, but it's something that the Spirit popped out to me. Think about this and just see what the Spirit gives you from this. The humble servant of God never assumes responsibility or even control over bringing glory to God. You and I have such a small part in bringing glory to God. He, he wants us to be courageous and act, but He prepares us, He gives us strength, He makes the path, He does it all, and all we do is obey, really. Again, on the board, the humble servant of God never assumes responsibility or even control over bringing glory to God. It's God's baby, so to speak. You know what I mean by that? You know, if you have your own little project, it's your baby. Make it, make it your own. Do your best at it. You know, sometimes past uses that phrase. This is God's baby. He brings himself glory. That's what he does. And we might, we might be fortunate enough, blessed enough to be in the path, this narrow path like this piece of wood. We might be fortunate enough to be right there so that as his wind blows through, so to speak, and he does what he does, you have a light to shine to participate in it. Go in your Bibles to John 12, 23. Let's just read a passage here that uh, amplifies the point on the board. John 12, 23. Again, the humble servant of God never assumes responsibility or even control over bringing glory to God. It's all a gift of God's grace. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. Now, before we get to the main reason we turn to this passage, I want you to see a correlation in verses 24 and 25. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. Right? A little grain of wheat. If it doesn't fall in the earth and dies, it doesn't sprout and create fruit. It remains alone. Well, what does it say in verse 25? He who loves his life loses it. It remains alone. There's no fruit if you love your own life. But at the end of verse 24, Jesus said, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. And that correlates to he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. In other words, he who dies to self will bear much fruit. So think about that as you go home or look at that correlation. Let's go on in verse 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul has become troubled, 
And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came out of heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. Who glorifies God? Only one person, himself. And we might be lucky to be in the path and be used in some way to bring him glory in this huge grand scheme of things. As small as we are compared to the entire universe, I mean, that's the part we can have in it. But to God, it's like a wonderful part, if you're humble. But he brings glory to himself. He doesn't need us. He brings glory to himself. And we must realize that it's a grace, gift, and privilege to serve the living God. So this is the God we get to serve. He's not unable in any way, you know. He actually doesn't need our help to be glorified, which we just saw. He even provides eternal life for his creatures that turn to him, that die to self. He's the living God, and he's also the God of the living. Turn in your Bibles to Luke 20, verse 34. The one that we serve has no problem bringing glory to himself. There's nothing he's lacking. He's the living God, but he's also the God of the living because he raises the dead. Do, do you and I have any part in raising the dead? Is there 1% help that God needs to raise us from the dead? So look at Luke 20, 34. Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and the resurrection from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot even die anymore, because they are like angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the burning bush, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now, he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. For all live to him. This is the God we serve. The one who raises the dead. He is and will always be the God of the living. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Where were they when, when Moses said this? They were dead, but they were alive. Otherwise, he wouldn't be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So this is the God we serve. He, that can bring glory to himself all the time, whenever he wants. So that's why our hearts should be so humbled to be like, all the glory be to you. I mean, it's like, why again do you even consider me? But he does. And so, as Scripture tells us, we are what we are by the grace of God. This means we're inadequate to do anything good without God's grace. And therefore, all the glory has to go to God. Turn again in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 3, verse 4. 
2 Corinthians 3, 4. So if we truly are inadequate to do anything good without God's grace, then all the glory has to go to God 100%. And we are truly inadequate without Him, but very adequate through Christ. So in 2 Corinthians 3, 4, such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Why do we have confidence? Through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's the channel that makes this all possible. He's the power source, right? And so why do we have confidence in verse 4? Because we have it because of Christ, because we know we can go through Christ. And so there's our adequacy, 100%, all glory to God. So it's not all about us. We love to make it about ourselves, if we're honest. Our flesh loves to get a little piece of those credit, just a little piece of the pie. But it's the same with the apostles. It wasn't about them. They thought it was about them at times. Which one's the greatest of us? As they say the night before the, the crucifixion. They wanted a piece of the pie. So we should again be greatly encouraged by their example. The apostles had the privilege of being used to God's glory, and that's it. And as the Spirit told us on Sunday, there's no real pressure on us to perform. You know, when we think about going forward in God's plan, we should not be thinking about, and I do this sometimes too, and I'm sure many of you do, putting pressure on yourself to accomplish the task, but you're inadequate. But if we lean heavily on Christ, we know through Christ we can do these things. But it's only when we lean heavily on Him, and therefore who gets all the glory. So again, as the Spirit told us, there's no real pressure on us to perform. Our job is simply to admit our inadequacy and to trust God to use us and empower us as we remain humble, knowing our standing before Him. We'll struggle at times like the apostles did. They kept getting in the way of God's grace many times. And yet through it all, God still trained them and used them for his glory. Let that encourage you. Through it all, through all the stupid things they said and did, God still trained them and used them to his glory. Because God is patient infinitely patient and for those who continue to seek him God's like all right I'm still going to bring you along because I know you're still seeking even though you're, you're messing things up I'm going to I'm going to train you I'm going to use you because you're humble enough to keep seeking me so as we step in the mud and as we trip and fall and do all these things along the way and go off the narrow path if we're humble, if we keep seeking him, he's going to be like, that's all right. Just come on. Wait till you see the end picture. You know what I mean? We have trouble seeing that, don't we? Because we see our mistakes. 
But God's like, just stay humble. Just keep seeking me. And he works in mysterious ways in that way. Because he's so patient with our issues. And he even uses those issues and failings to train us up. And to take us to the next place. So our only conclusion can be all the glory goes to God. (laughs) We certainly should realize we have no reason to boast. And God can use anyone who's willing. So on the board, real men and women do. Why is that? Not because there's anything extraordinary about them. Again, consider why the apostles are so encouraging. It's not because there's anything good or extraordinary about them, but rather because they're humble. They aren't interested in self-glorification, only God's glory by grace. So we each need to ask ourselves, are we in this for our own interests in some way? And the Spirit's brought this up quite a bit over the last few months. Are we in this for our own interests in some way? Again, go back to motivation. Or are we here for God's interests? Alone. The humble servant like Mary, she was overwhelmed with the opportunity to be used by God. She was blown away and fell at his knees, basically. Behold, the bond slave of the Lord. Right? She was overwhelmed at the chance to be used by God to bring him glory. Who are we that God even gives us a chance? It's amazing that that's how gracious God is. So on the board, God is waiting and hoping that we serve Him from the heart. The proper perspective on serving is that it's a pure privilege. It's nothing less than a privilege, a grace gift, and an opportunity to honor the Lord from the heart. Again, the attitude of 1 Thessalonians 5. 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks to God in all things. That's our protection from familiarity. And that's what keeps us having the servant's heart. And so we open our eyes and we count our blessings. On the board, we recognize privilege. With the Lord's perspective, you will see how much you've been blessed. While you get familiar, Christ never does. If you've lost sight of your privilege to serve, you've lost sight of Christ himself. Again on the board, Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never falters. He never got familiar with God the Father. He never stopped thanking the Father for all the blessings he had. He never stopped appreciating God's um, guidance and love, all right, even as a, as a man. What do we do? We even get familiar with Jesus himself. I know I do. We get familiar with what we know about him. Oh, he died for my sins. I know that. Well, is that the right attitude? I know that. We forget to appreciate and love him in return, like every day, like being saved every day, 
like living in the gospel reality. Why am I waking up and why am I waking up knowing I'm saved if I've trusted in Christ? But it's the ugliness of the flesh that gets in there. So that's why on the board we need to remember where we came from. If you remember that you didn't have the privilege to serve the Lord until He chose to save you, maybe, just maybe, you'll be more grateful for your current opportunity to do so. He didn't have to reach out to you. He didn't have to save you. And without that, you can't do anything for His glory, right? Unless you abide in Him, you can do nothing. So, (laughs) how about stepping back and recognizing the privilege? Recognizing where we came from and what he saved us from. Again, on the board, God's grace is not designed to accommodate man. It's designed to accommodate God and bring him glory. I mean, ultimately, that's why God's gracious to us, to bring himself glory, to show the angels his tremendous grace towards such losers like us, such sinners like us. It's for his glory. And yeah, he loves the heck of us, by the way, out of us, by the way. But it's all for his glory. So this is why we need to regularly check ourselves to repent of our poor attitude when necessary and change our perspective to his perspective. And we have a lot of scripture that that helps us. On the board, we saw this on Sunday, Philippians 4, 8 in the message. Summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious. The best, not the worst. The beautiful, not the ugly. Things to praise, not things to curse. I couldn't help when thinking, reading this passage and thinking about Philippians 3, the chapter right before it, right? Which says, forget the things that lie behind. And reach forward to the things that lie ahead. Perspective. Verse 8. Focus on these things. Fill your minds with these things. So you'll be great, grateful. Realize the privilege that God's given you. And verse 9. Put into practice what you learned from me. What you heard and saw and realized. Do that. And God, who makes everything work together, will work you into his most excellent harmonies. In other words, follow him, and his grace will follow you. Do it with the right motivation. Focus on the good things in verse 8, the excellent things, the virtuous things, and stop focusing on the fleshly things. His grace will start following you. It's funny, we all want harmony in our souls. We all want peace, but we insist on on doing it our own way. We insist on having a peace in it. When the Lord said He gives us His peace, and only His peace allows us not to be fearful or worried. On the board in John 14, 27 in the NIV, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. 
And with his peace, if we accept his grace, we can then handle pressures in life without being fearful, without thinking we have to perform. Because he gives us his peace. On the board, the value of pressure. So as much as we want to say we have his peace and we've received his peace, we know we haven't fully, especially some days, right? But this is the value of pressure. Pressure proves the metal of a person's heart. Under pressure, true faith emits humility. Pseudo-faith emits arrogance. God reminds us of our arrogance by pressing us to this latter point and then saying, see, we're still arrogant. Now we all fall into this category at times, right? Please be honest. <laughs> but this is why we need pressure. This is why it's a good thing. To show us where we're at so we're not deceiving ourselves to thinking we're some spiritual giant. And he did this to the apostles too. He gave them his peace in John 14, 27. And what happened next? They ran away at the cross. They all ran away. See, you're still arrogant. So this is a process that we have to go through. And it's okay to fail. The important thing is to recognize the failure, the lack of uh, humble attitude. We've got to join the club. This is another reason the apostles are so encouraging. And then what did they do? They came back, didn't they? The apostles came back. They didn't receive his peace. They didn't receive his grace. They ran away, and then they came back. And then they received his peace as they had to grow. Go figure. They had to actually fail and grow like all of us. So God is patient even with you and I, is the point. If we keep seeking him, he keeps sharing and empowering us and giving us a chance to be in the path and, and be part of the glory he brings to himself. If we keep seeking him. So here's something to think about as we begin to close. The apostles' failures were immense and ugly at times. But look how they finished. We always, we always take like a snapshot. We think this is the Apostle Peter. This is the Apostle John. Like we think of them at, at the, as the finished product, right? We think of the good things they did. And we think I could never be like that. Whatever arrogant statement that is, right? What about all their failures? What about the ugly things they did? What about Peter denying the Lord three times? What about them running away from Jesus when he got arrested? What about them doubting him like Thomas after the resurrection? Ugly. But look at the final product the Lord produced in these men. Not because they were able, because they were willing, because they were humble. So there's hope for all of us. And once again, God gives grace to the humble, and that's why he chose the apostles. On the board, as we kind of get back to our mainstream topic here, uh, Jesus' call. Why didn't Jesus choose the Pharisees? Why the apostles? 
The answer is simple. The Pharisees thought they could save themselves where the apostles looked to Jesus to save them. And in Matthew 16, 15 through 16, Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. One party assumed nothing. The apostles. They assumed nothing. The other party, the Pharisees, assumed everything. They assumed they were good enough. And obviously it's nothing more than arrogance. Turn again in your Bibles to Matthew 3, verse 8. Matthew 3, verse 8. Can't believe how quickly the time went by. Some of you are like, yeah, right. (laughs) Uh, John the Baptist was saying, Therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. On the board, the Pharisees supposed that was their problem. This reeks of the contemporary plague in the churches where people are convinced that they are saved just because they're official members of a church or a group or a lineage, etc. Many people in churches are living in deception, assuming they're something when they're nothing, assuming that they're all set with God, because of their families or their affiliations or their lineage or their father's a pastor, whatever. But each man's heart will be assessed by God. And that's what we need to share as evangelists too. Each man's heart will be assessed by God. And as we do so, in love and grace, we always fall back on the Word of God as our source. This is our final main point that came up on Sunday as Pastor said, when um, Pastor Fassel John came to visit us a while ago, what stood out to him is he would always say in his responses, the Bible says, the Bible says. He wisely and humbly fell back on the Word of God any time he spoke. And so there we saw an example of surefire evangelism. It always includes the Bible says or the Word of God says. This places the burden of conviction on the Word and the Spirit in that moment. The burden is not on the evangelist. The burden is not on the evangelist, which we're all called to be, by the way, to perform. That's not our burden. That's not our pressure. The burden is on God and the Word of God. And we have to make that clear. So we do take the pressure off ourselves. So we don't fall into thinking that it's about us in any way, that we can perform. So using these terms, always falling back on the Bible and what it says, that places the burden of conviction on the Word and the Spirit in that moment, not on the evangelist. It also relieves the evangelist of bearing the responsibility of saving others. God saves. God brings Himself glory. We can't bring God glory unless we're attached to the vine. And we turn to Christ. So may we continue to get out of the way, even as God uses us to spread the good news. This is His baby. We're just privileged to be in the path. We are literally privileged to be, hopefully, right in the path as His wind blows by and does what He does in His mysterious ways.
Claim and credit God's Word. Claim and credit God's Word all the time. Let people know that you're relying on the Bible for your wisdom, not on your own wisdom. You and I are just messengers, sharing the message given to you by Christ Himself. That's all we are. Guess what? Anybody can be a messenger. Your three-year-old grandson can grab a piece of paper with a message on it and take it to somebody else. That's our job, to deliver the message, to be a good messenger, to be a good servant. And all that is is someone who delivers, passes on the message. It's not your message. It's Christ's message. And all the glory and even responsibility belongs to God. And thank God for that. Amen? All right, let's close. Father, we thank you so much again for the depth of your word and your spirit and the fact that we can totally just lean on you and realize this is all about you and even what you provide and even bringing you glory. All we can do is be willing, willing to be in your path and be used and realize our position. We are a bond slave of yours. And by grace, you give us the chance to be used for your glory. Father, we're so grateful for this opportunity and we look forward to serving you till our dying day and then being with you in heaven forever. May all the glory and honor go to you and your son, Jesus Christ. It's in Christ's precious name we pray and by the power of your spirit we pray. Amen.